if you're looking for romance, I recommend go see Willie live and then go to the Alamo. Howdy. You're listening to Come and Take It, a talk show about Texas by Texans, where three friends born and raised in the Lone Star State share our views on the history, culture, and just what it means to be Texan. I'm Mike Zolkowski. And I'm Sean McIver. And I'm Scott Ulfstrom. Considered a Texas icon and a legend of country music, Willie Nelson is one of the most recognizable and interesting Texans alive today. And today, we examine his early life and his rise to fame. But first, what's your favorite movie theater in Texas? I have a very fond memory of going to the Santicos Theater in San Antonio in 1979 to see The Legend of the Lone Ranger when I was a wee lad because we were about to move. But in actuality, it's not that great a theater, and actually it's a really terrible movie. But it's a great memory. (laughs) Well, I'm going to have to go. uh, Mine's actually a tie. Uh, The first one is the now long-gone North Park Theater, the original North Park Theater. General Cinemas. Yeah, General Cinemas, North Park Mall, and it had the original THX uh, sound system in Texas. And we saw, uh, we waited in line to see the re-releases of uh, the special editions of Star Wars back in college and saw some midnight movies there. Doesn't sound like a big thing, but it was a bit like having Willy Wonka's golden ticket in the (laughs) mid-90s. We did see Boba Fett there, I believe. Um, This was before just anybody could get order something off the internet and go to us. This was the 90s. That was also the movie theater where... Uh, they did the summer movie series, and we saw yeah. things on the big screen that we maybe yeah. had maybe seen once or hadn't seen as a child, like you know, Top Gun, Ferris Bueller's Day Off, Blues Brothers, Blues Brothers, stuff like that. Yeah, my other favorite one is is the twenty uh, seat theater in Vernon, Texas, in downtown Vernon, Texas, which is probably long gone. And I saw uh, Mannequin there twice when I was in junior high. So nice. Nice. pretty cool. Woo. Actually, it's a really uh, crappy theater. <laughs> As a child, my favorite movie theater would, of course, be the Tradewinds Movie Theater in Texas City, where I grew up. It was a little two-screen movie theater, and saw a lot of movies there. And I even got to listen to Transformers, the movie, the original animated one, uh, because you could stand on the outside of the back <laughs> wall of the theater, and you could hear the sound yeah. through the wall, like through the air conditioning unit there. So that was fun. But today, my favorite movie theater is, of course, the Alamo Draft House. Born and raised in Austin, Texas, and now spreading its spawn throughout the country. All right, so let's back up. You actually got to hear. You got the touch! Yes. Yes, I did. (laughs) Awesome. (laughs) Willie Nelson was born on April 29th, 1933 in Abbott, Texas, and that's a small hill country town near Waco. He and his older sister, Bobby, were raised by their paternal grandparents during the Great Depression. Their mother left after Willie's birth, and his father remarried soon after, leaving the children with his parents. They were poor and had a hard existence, but music was always at the center of their lives. The Nelsons attended the town's small Methodist church, where his grandparents led the music. Quote, we were basically the only musicians in the church, Nelson recalls. We played every song every Sunday. Monday nights was choir practice. Wednesday night was prayer meetings. And Thursday night was singing conventions in Hillsborough. So every day was gospel music. His sister Bobby described their early life saying, quote, The first music we learned was from the hymn books, and Willie had such a beautiful voice. Both their grandparents taught music and encouraged Willie and his sister to play. Nelson's famous gospel song, Family Bible, was the first song he ever sold, and it reflects the influence of his musical beginnings. Willie got his first guitar at the early age of six, and he soon started writing his own songs. A few years later, 
he played his first professional gig with a local polka band. Nelson later joined Bud Fletcher in the Texans, and they played the local club circuit. Also in the group was his sister, Bobby, who played piano. She later married Fletcher. One of his early inspirations was Bob Wills and his Texas Playboys, a group known for their upbeat and energetic country dance music known as Western Swing. Willie graduated from high school in 1950 and joined the Air Force. He was stationed at Lackland Air Force Base in San Antonio, but he eventually left the service due to back problems. He married Martha Matthews and in 1954 enrolled at Baylor University in Waco, while working on a dizzying number of odd jobs to make ends meet. But college was not to be. He dropped out and began working as a disc jockey and worked even more odd jobs and playing gigs in his spare time. Martha and Willie had two children during this time, daughters Susie and Lana. It was during this time that he wrote some of his earliest and most famous songs, including Nightlife, Crazy, and Funny How Time Slips Away. He also met one of his closest friends and collaborators, Johnny Bush, during this time. And we'll have to do a show on him in the future because he is an extremely interesting individual. (laughs) In 1956, he moved to Vancouver, Washington for another DJ gig, where he recorded his first album. Success still did not find him, and over the next two years, he went from job to job. In 1958, with the birth of his third child, Billy, he moved his family back to Houston. There, he continued to pick up gigs and work at radio stations. He also found work as a guitar instructor for a local guitar teacher, whom he sold the song Family Bible to for $50. Now, this would be a sign of things to come, as Willie soon became highly regarded for his songwriting abilities. It wasn't until 1960, though, that the hits began rolling in. That year, he moved to Nashville to try and get signed by a label. He failed to do so, but made enough connections to local musicians that he was able to land a gig with Pamper Records, earning $50 a week as a songwriter. In 1961, a number of his songs became hits. Grand Old Opry star Farron Young released Hello Walls. Hello Walls. Billy Walker released Funny How Time Slips Away, fellow Texan Roy Orbison recorded Pretty Paper, and Patsy Cline recorded her iconic version of Crazy, which went on to become the biggest jukebox hit of all time. Willie had two small hits of his own, Willingly and Touch Me, which was a duet with yodeler Shirley Colley, and he released an album in 1962 that didn't get much notice. His duet with Colley soon turned into something more, though, as his marriage with Martha fell apart. His first marriage was a disaster between his frequent absences and travel and was marked by violence. Willie alleges that Martha assaulted him several times, including one time when she sewed him up in a bedsheet and beat him with a broomstick. They divorced in 1963 and Willie married Collie and they moved to Texas, alternating their time between Nashville, Texas, and Los Angeles. This marriage lasted until 1971 and they had no children. In 1963, Ray Price released his smashed version of the song Nightlife. While Willie's songs resonated through other artists, Nashville had difficulty with Willie's signature sound. In trying to change him, they merely frustrated him and led him to increasingly take on a hard-drinking, hard-living outlaw image, which was at odds with the bright and cheerful Opryland ideal. Willie bounced from contract to contract, moving from Pamper to Monument Records, and then to RCA Victor in 1964 on a $10,000 a year writing and recording contract. In 1965, He released an album of his popular songs and continued to write and record through the 60s, producing hits for other people, but few for himself. During the week of Christmas 1969, Willie would write the song, What Can You Do To Me Now? Now, his personal life was falling apart. He'd lost a great deal of money from his songwriting days on bad investments. His own records were only middle of the road at best. And finally, he'd been fighting with Shirley, who discovered he'd followed a child by a young Houston woman named Connie Cokey. 
Two days later, his house in Ridgetop burned to the ground. While his family and animals were unharmed, it was a total loss, with exception to the two pounds of Colombian tea he'd hidden in an old guitar case. Apparently, God took his song title as a challenge. Following in the footsteps of Tennessee and Davy Crockett, Willie declared, Y'all can go to hell. I shall go to Texas. Moving back to Texas, Willie became an integral part of the country music scene in Austin. He bought a ranch in Bandera in the hill country southwest of Austin. Texas suited Willie. He started growing his hair out and doing things Willie's way. His daughter Paula with Connie was joined a few years later by another daughter, Amy. He finished out his obligations to RCA, releasing two albums a year from 1970 to 1972. These albums and songs he wrote during that period took a much darker and more introspective tone, including Yesterday's Wine, one of his very best early albums. Again, they didn't chart high, but the different creative direction he was taking was noticeable. It was at this time he began collaborating with other country outlaws of the era, such as Chris Christofferson, Jerry Jeff Walker, Towns Van Zant, and Waylon Jennings. Playing at dives and honky-tonks like the Armadillo World Headquarters and Green Hall with these raw and nonconformist characters rejuvenated him. The albums Willie Nelson and Family, The Words Don't Fit the Picture, and Willie's Way all featured songs written by and performed with Christofferson and Jennings. They also started a music festival near Austin, the Dripping Springs Reunion in 1971, which a few years later evolved into Willie's legendary picnics, which except for a few gaps have continued to this day. In 1973, Nelson signed a new contract with Atlantic Records, a label that previously had been known for jazz, soul, and R&B, but that had been branching out since the late 1960s into rock and other genres. Willie was the first country artist to be signed to the label, and he was given considerable freedom. Early recordings in New York City were not satisfying, but a creative breakthrough in the studio resulted in the song Shotgun Willie, which became the title track for the album. The song provided the overall theme for the album to showcase Willie's no longer restrained writing and singing talents. Waylon Jennings and his wife Jessie Coulter performed in his backing band. They covered two Bob Will songs as well as his friend Johnny Bush's Whiskey River, which became one of Willie's all-time classics. It is considered a great album and was well-reviewed at the time, though sales were low. It is also considered one of the first outlaw records, which is country music with a rock and roll attitude. Willie himself said it was finally the moment he, quote, cleared his throat. Interestingly, the title song is derived from Willie's nickname he got after his daughter Susie told him about the domestic abuse suffered by her sister Lana. Willie drove to Lana's house, where he fought with her husband Steve Warren and threatened to kill him if he ever hit his daughter again. Soon after Nelson arrived home, Warren arrived in a truck with his brothers. They started shooting at the house with twenty-two caliber rifles. In response, Nelson and his friend drummer Paul English shot back at the Warrens with shotguns. When they returned later, Nelson took English's M1 Garand and shot the truck, causing his son-in-law to give up. Shotgun Willie, indeed. In 1974, he released his second record for Atlantic, Phases and Stages, which increased his popularity outside the traditional country market. Now, interestingly, this is a concept album narrating the idea of divorce, with one side representing the woman's story and side two, the man's. The album sold 400,000 copies, and it was met with almost universal acclaim from the music press. Bloody Mary Morning reached number 17 on the Billboard charts, but this would be one of the last albums released by Atlantic Records' Country Division. The label decided to refocus exclusively on big-name rock acts and close its country's division, releasing Willie from his contract. This opened the door for Columbia to sign Nelson to an exclusive contract granting him complete creative control over his albums and music, Atlantic's loss and Columbia's gain. Returning from a Colorado ski trip in 1975, 
Willie began planning a new concept album based on Arthur Smith's Tale of the Red-Headed Stranger, an old country song he used to enjoy playing in his radio days. The epic tale of a western gunfighter, it became the biggest hit to date, including a number one with Blue Eyes Crying in the Rain, written by Fred Rose. The album won Willie his first Grammy for Best Country Vocal Performance. Music critic Chet Flippo wrote in a Texas Monthly article entitled, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and Willie. Willie Nelson's latest album is more than a good country music, it's almost gospel. He also said, The difference between Nelson's Red-Headed Stranger and any current country and western album, and especially what passes for a soundtrack for Nashville, is astounding. What Nelson has done is simply unclassifiable. It is the only record I have heard that strikes me as otherworldly. Red-Headed Stranger conjures up such strange emotions and works on so many levels that listening to it becomes totally obsessing. I... I think you liked it. Red-Headed Stranger was the true breakthrough that Nelson and all the Outlaws needed. Willie would go on to record on the compilation Wanted, The Outlaws, which also featured Waylon Jennings, Jesse Coulter, and Tom Paul Glasser. Nelson and Jennings also collaborated on the hugely popular song Mamas Don't Let Your Babies Grow Up To Be Cowboys, which won the 1978 Grammy Award for Best Country Vocal Performance by a Duo or a Group. The album The Sound of Your Mind, as well as tributes to his idol Lefty Frizzell and his friend Chris Christopherson, followed in the next few years. In 1978, he released an album of American standards called Stardust. His cover of Hoagie Carmichael and Stuart Gorrell's Georgia On My Mind earned him his second Grammy Award for Best Country Vocal Performance. Beyond its critical success, the album proved to have staying power as well, lingering on the country charts for over a decade. Cash-in albums also showed up at this time, including releases of early demos from his Nashville days, and even Atlantic released the songs he had discarded from the Shotgun Willie sessions under the title Willie Nelson Troublemaker. People trying to ride his coattails. <laughs> yeah. Or his braids, perhaps. Yeah. yeah. Maybe they regret letting him go. During this time, Willie also began acting in films. He appeared in the movie The Electric Horseman with Robert Redford in 1979 and starred in Honeysuckle Rose in 1980. Roger Ebert famously wrote of the latter movie, This story is totally predictable from the opening scenes of Honeysuckle Rose, which is a certain disappointment. The movie is sly and entertaining, but it could have been better. Still, it has its charms, and one is certainly the presence of Willie Nelson himself, making his starring debut at the age of 47 and not looking a day over 60. (laughs) (laughs) The Electric Horseman, I'm sure he was... I'm sure he was very flattered when he read that review from Roger Ebert. (laughs) The Electric Horseman soundtrack featured another classic cover that became a concert staple, My Heroes Have Always Been Cowboys. The Honeysuckle Rose soundtrack featured a number of Willie's classic songs, but also included the new songs Angel Flying Too Close to the Ground and the smash hit On the Road Again, which won the Academy Award for Best Original Song and also earned Willie another Grammy that year. Willie was on fire through the 80s. He won another Grammy for Always On My Mind in 1982, and he would have chart-topping albums in 1983's Angel Eyes and 84's City of New Orleans. Additionally, he released To All The Girls I've Loved Before with Latin music superstar Julio Iglesias. This is probably the biggest hit he had worldwide. He recorded an album with his fellow outlaw Merle Haggard in 1983 called Poncho and Lefty, and in 1985... He formed the Highwaymen, which was a country music supergroup featuring Willie, Chris Christopherson, Waylon Jennings, and Johnny Cash. Their album, The Highwaymen, featuring the song, The Highwaymen, was a huge hit. They recorded two more albums in 1990 and 95, with the last having a hit with Robert O'Keen's The Road Goes On Forever. Never one to forget his roots in the country. 
Willie teamed up with John Mellencamp and Neil Young to organize Farm Aid in 1985. He had participated in the recording of the song We Are the World, which raised money to fight famine in Africa. On the heels of the success of the massive Live Aid benefit concert for the same cause, they hoped to create a similar awareness for the plight of the family farmer in America. 80,000 people attended the first Farm Aid concert in Champaign, Illinois on September 25, 1985. If you look at the full bill, it really represented a complete cross-section of American music in the, the decade of the 80s. Yeah, I mean, you had Willie. Mellencamp. Neil Young. Alabama. The Beach Boys. Bon Jovi. Glenn Campbell. Johnny Cash. David Allen Coe. John Denver. Bob Dylan. Foreigner. Sammy Hagar. Merle Haggard. Daryl Hall. Emmylou Harris. Don Henley. Waylon. Billy Joel. George Jones. B.B. King. Carol King. Chris Christopherson. Huey Lewis, I guess without the news. Loretta Lynn. Roger Miller. Yeah, Joni Mitchell. Roy Orbison. Tom Petty. Charlie Pride. Bonnie Raitt. Lou Reed. Kenny Rogers. Brian Setzer. Eddie Van Halen. And the L.A. punk band X. The organization still exists today, both as an annual music festival and an ongoing entity that works to raise awareness for family farmers and assistance with preventing foreclosures. Willie continued acting in the 80s, appearing in movies like Michael Mann's Thief, a remake of Stagecoach with Johnny Cash, and a bunch of other westerns, including the long-awaited adaptation of Red-Headed Stranger. He wrote his first autobiography in 1988 and experienced many health problems in the 80s due to his smoking habits. The late 80s were otherwise a mixed bag for Willie. His marriage to Connie ended in 1988 after 19 years together. His albums did well, but didn't have quite the critical acclaim that the earlier albums had. Still, he was considered one of the biggest stars in the world and already an elder statesman of country music. Sadly, 1990 would see his entire world shaken to its very core and would force Willie Nelson to once again reinvent himself. But that, my friends, is a story for next time. What an amazing life. My earliest memory of Willie Nelson um, is the movie The Electric Horseman. Um, I remember seeing that. I I don't know if my parents took me to see it or they happened to show it on TV when I was a kid. I don't know. But I remember that movie, and I especially remember the the soundtrack because that was one of the staples Mm -hmm. that we would throw in the tape deck whenever we went anywhere. So I grew up listening to, you know, Don't Let Your Mamas Grow Up To Be Cowboys, and uh, it's just part of the fabric of my childhood. Yeah, my my earliest one memory is... uh... We, another cassette tape, we had the City of New Orleans uh, cassette, and that was a huge hit in the 1984. Yeah, I mean, he was already someone who you, you already knew about, uh, but you, reading about him, reading about those early years is truly fascinating. His life is, is interesting because it happens in phases. Because you, we, for us of our phases generation... Phases and stages. Phases and stages. You think of Willie Nelson as being this timeless entity that was there forever. But he really struggled for a long time mm-hmm. to find his voice. And it's one of those things of, well, that guy had a great... That guy's always been great. We all knew he was great. But he had doors slammed in his face forever. Yeah. And he actually, his career somewhat parallels another icon, not a Texas icon, but an icon, Neil Diamond in the sense that his early career is full of writing a bunch of songs that other mm-hmm. people turned into hits, and it wasn't till much later right. that he found success on his own. Right, and, and Nashville... Yeah, and then he made the jazz singer. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> well, and and Nashville really tried to conform Willie into something that he wasn't. I, I heard a really great interview uh, talking about singers and songwriting, and they talked about the difference between Patsy Cline's version of Crazy 
and Willie Nelson's version of crazy. And Mike, you're a musician. Uh, and you know that they talked about the Willie Nelson's version of crazy was frustrating to the producers because he sang ahead of the notes. He sang ahead of the, the, the music. And, and really, if you listen to his early version of the song, it does that, but it's because he was not that type of singer. He was a type of expressive singer who wanted to blend his voice with what he wanted to say in the music, not make the music define what his voice was saying. Yes, and I would say that Willie is, I mean, he's, just, he's distinctive, and there are distinctive voices you hear, and you say, oh, and and he just, he is who he is. He doesn't compromise for who he is, and you know, when you read, he's there's actually not just his autobiography in 88. He, uh, he had a, a book recently, um, Roll Me Up and Smoke Me When I Die. Mm-hmm. And it has a lot of interesting stories and tales from when, when he was a, a young lad and growing up. And, you know, his grandfather was a blacksmith. And he talks about, you know, the, the hard life they live. But he also has these insane fun stories of all the crazy things. It, it's a great book. I recommend you go out and, and support Willie and read the book. You know, he, he just... He, you, we think of just the songs, and we think of just the performer and the man. But when you really look at the man, there was a long road. To, those songs that are so beautiful are fueled by a lot of real-world living. Right. The, the things that he did, we talked about, the, I said, the dizzying array of jobs. He did so many jobs. <laughs> he sold Bibles and encyclopedias. and He sold. He, he says in one of his books, says, I sold every. There's it's nothing like, I haven't sold door to door. He didn't <laughs> sell door to door. And he, you know, he, he worked in loading docks and he, he taught music and everything and, and worked at diners and washed dishes. And so like the, the sweat equity that he's put into his career just to get to Nashville in the first place. And then you expand that from what he's done since then is truly amazing. So that's where we think of him today. There's the Willie of, of today and the Willie of our childhoods that we came into it when he hit. Yeah. You know, we yeah. came into it in the late 70s, early 80s, and it was just like, oh, well, he, he's the farm aid guy and he's got the braids and he's doing, he's doing mm-hmm. We Are the World and he's just, he's everywhere and he's just, he's just Willie Nelson. You know, he's this kind of constant companion. But, that those early, I think about those early days when I think about people who are like, well, I'm an artist and I'm this and I'm that. It's like, you know what? Like, if you're really an artist, you look at this man's life because he was an artist and he stuck to his guns through everything mm-hmm. and he didn't let the system change him and he paid the price for it and he struggled for a long time. And then one day, everything lined up and he'd been doing what he'd been doing the whole time. And then, boom, they said, this had, guy's great. He just had to wait for the world to catch up with him. Yeah. If you look at the, the albums, on Wikipedia, you can see all of his album his album covers. And if you look at the, the 60s album covers, and they're very bland and generic, and there's one where he's, like, golfing with, the, with his wife or something. Then you look at those last five albums he did for RCA, where he just progressively didn't give a damn anymore yeah 47 going on 60 yeah well no that was that was <laughs> that was a little earlier but yesterday's wine and Which willie's a- way and uh those albums where they're getting darker and it's because people aren't he's you kind of get the his attitude of people aren't buying my albums, so what does it matter what i'm doing yeah i'll just do what i want to do right and i think the big breakthrough like you said with shotgun willie is like 
I'm going to do what I want to do. Yeah. And again, we talk, we, you know, we talk a lot on the show about what the core of Texas is and the core of what it means to be mm-hmm. Texan. And, and Willie Nelson is it. Like we are saying, he's just going to do whatever he's going to do. And that's a very traditional, mythical Texas attitude. It's like, I'm going to do my thing and either you can get with it or you can, it's, you know, leave it, me alone. It's almost that his attitude was in Nashville, they wanted him to do what people liked. And what he wanted was for people to like what he was doing. And that's really a Texas attitude, too. It is. And Texas is the, you know, that I like the idea that he leaves Texas and he comes back to Texas. Yeah. And he says, oh, I go here. Mm, it's just, it's not home. And then there's also this idea of, of Texas is a place of reinvention. Yep. I mean, we've seen it time and time again with all of the icons of Texas. You can go and you can fail and you can come to Texas and you just dust yourself off. And we welcome you to start again and build it and do it better, do it different, do it here. And that's what he does. I was going to tell, um, you know, this story as it kind of unfolds, there's so many details to the man's life that, you know, we could do 10 podcasts on him and, and hardly scratch the surface because I yeah. think he's starting next week. Starting... The, the Willie Nelson podcast. <laughs> no, he's lived more. He He's lived he's lived 100 lifetimes in his lifetime. Yeah. And he's still out there doing it today. We talk about Johnny Bush a little bit. Is it, the, the thing that doesn't come across maybe in these stories so much is, well, he's married, he's divorced, he has kids, he's this, there's all these wild, you think about the wild stuff. Some of the stories I uncovered about Willie that were interesting that aren't really showcasing this in some of the early days are the compassion the man has yeah. and the respect he has for family and how much he takes care of people. For example, Johnny Bush, who I really do want to do a future show on someday, um, had a... Had a a, a throat, he lost his voice. He yeah. lost his voice. He had a throat disease, and he completely lost his voice and couldn't sing. And uh, I've one, I, one of the great country singers too. One of the great unknown country singers, Johnny Bush. Beautiful voice. Beautiful voice. In, beautiful in his voice early days. in his early days. Beautiful voice. Well, he came back. His voice is is different, having recovered from this injury. But for this time when he was, he couldn't really work very much. Mm-hmm. And his good friend Willie Nelson is always playing and recording Whiskey River. Right, and he gets a little. He gets a little. He gets to wet his beak on yeah, all he gets of those. Yeah, on those. So, and and he said in his autobiography that you know, God bless Willie Nelson for recording the heck out of keep re-recording <laughs> that song because those royalties helped me get through some really rough times. Right. Well, and and it's interesting because we talk about the outlaw going into the the outlaw phase of his career, and 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 he found like-minded people in Texas. But we talk about. The Willie Nelson picnic, but it's the Willie Nelson family picnic. And his band's name is Willie Nelson family. His sister plays piano. Bobby still plays with him today. Yeah, and and Paul English drummer. I think he's deceased now, but his son I think plays drums for I him. Believe now. So. Yeah. And I just watched. He just did the show recently at South by Southwest, and I watched it on the the iTunes streaming uh-huh. on TV. And I think he's got one of his sons. Yeah, his, plays guitar his, in the band. His son Luke, I believe. So he's you know we, we're. We're breaking this into chunks, and 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 we'll come back next time, and we'll talk about a little thing that we lived through called the '90s. Right. <laughs> but you know, to this point, you see a man who's had you take his life to this point to 1988-89, and you break it into two halves, and you basically see like a first half of poverty, unknown. You're a good songwriter, but nobody wants to buy your records. Then it shifts to well a, a decade and a half a, of a decade and a half of just being on fire. Yeah, 
and and then launching into a movie career. Yeah. I mean, how few people in the world are as recognizable globally as Willie Nelson? Right. Yeah. Well, and Sean, you were talking earlier about playing some Willie Nelson music with your your son. Yeah. At dinner. At dinner night. And he's like, Willie Nelson, who's that? And well, he's my, three. Yeah. So. Right. But it's like, but my response to that is like, well, son, that's your Uncle Willie. Yeah, that's Uncle Willie. And it's like if you're if you're from Texas, you know, it's kind of like. Everybody's Uncle Willie. All right, last story about Willie Nelson. Well, uh, before we get, but to tease the next episode, as you said, there's changes and there's trial that Willie's going to go through, and we're going to talk about that. But I think we talk about the family stuff and the compassion that Willie had, and that gets repaid. We see how that comes back in the next episode. One last quick Willie Nelson story. So when I met my wife, she had just moved to Texas, and she moved to San Antonio, and I was living in Austin. And through a whole coincidence of events, uh, she was supposed to come with me and a group of friends to the Willie Nelson picnic, which is being held in the Verizon Amphitheater in San Antonio. It was about 152 degrees that day. <laughs> so, so, so a mild uh, summer day in Texas. And uh, long story short, everybody canceled. So it ended up being just the two of us. Hmm. So we ended up going to dinner. We skipped a lot of the early acts. We got there in time to see Leanne Womack. And then Willie Nelson was closing down the show. So my wife was going, but she was from rural Ohio. So she wasn't exactly sure who Willie Nelson was. Like she's like, I'm going to this concert and I'm it's a big deal and everybody's talking about it, but I'm not really sure who it is. And we walked in and she saw his picture on a shirt. And later she told me she's like, assume well I saw the picture and I was like, Oh, I know who that guy is. <laughs> and then, you know, it, so he's iconic that way. But uh that just casual going to a concert, not a date turned into a date. Second date was, of course, the Alamo. And then we went and saw M. Night Shyamalan's signs. Hmm. But, but anyway. Twist. Not, but not it, Texan enough. But twist. So if you're looking for romance, I recommend go see Willie live and then go to the Alamo. <laughs> well, I, I'll have... Next, next time we talk about it, I will share my romantic Willie Nelson story. So... All right, get yours warmed up, Scott. <laughs> My romantic Willie Nelson story involves the Texas Hall of Fame and Brian. Okay. See, okay. We, we all have a romantic Willie Nelson Aww. story, so we'll hey. share ours. The man time. is, ma- he's made of magic. <laughs> yes. <laughs> he's, he's magic. Which is why we are all going to roll him up and smoke him when he dies. When yeah. he dies. That wraps things up for today. You can find notes and links from today's show at brainstable.com. We'd love to hear from you. So like and share us on Facebook, follow the show on Twitter at Texas Podcast, or go to brainstable.com and leave us some feedback. Be sure to indicate whether it's okay for us to mention you on the show. You can also find our show and many other great history podcasts at historypodcasters.com. You can follow us individually, too. I'm on Twitter at Mr. Java. I'm Max Sean with two ends. I'm Scotticus. If you like the show, tell your friends and please leave a review on iTunes. That really helps us out. We hope you'll join us next time, and remember that even if you aren't from Texas, Texas Texas wants you anyway.